This is the Pro Football Doc Podcast with Dr. David Chow. As a practicing orthopedic surgeon who's performed hundreds of procedures on NFL players and as the former longtime head team physician for the San Diego Chargers, Dr. Chow uses his insider knowledge to decipher injuries to a documented 95% accuracy level. He's the Sirius XM sports medical analyst and is quoted everywhere from Sports Center to NFL Live. More than 100,000 followers can't be wrong. Following him on Twitter, looking for his instant insights on injuries during games. Now, Dr. David Chow, the pro football doc. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another pro football doc podcast. As we wrap up week nine and approach week 10 of the NFL season. Hot and heavy in the middle of it here. Lots and lots to talk about as usual. And a great special guest. Very much looking forward to uh, talking and chatting with uh, Damian Woody uh, in our second segment. But in the meantime here, we get to talk with our producer, Greg Peterson. Welcome to the show. Dr. Chow, great to be on with you. How did your weekend go? Well, probably a lot better than yours, being that in theory, I'm a Chargers guy. I mean, I'm a San Diego Chargers guy. So you could say we don't exist anymore, but I'm still a Chargers guy and a Rivers fan and lots of people. And, uh, you know, your cheeseheads were awfully quiet. I mean, I was watching the game. There were not a lot of uh, shots of the stadium this time. With I was worried it'd be 90% people with cheeseheads on. But that was one of the big surprises of the week. The bigger surprise was the fact that the Green Bay Packers offense was about as vocal as Casper the Friendly Ghost in that game as well. Yeah, I mean, I actually had some comments and questions of like, what's wrong with Devontae Adams? And like, I don't know. He did okay. It's what's wrong with the entire offense. I mean, yeah. you know, it was his first game back, Devontae Adams. But I, I mean, what happened there? What's your take? I have, I have a, an idea, but what's your take on what happened there? I just don't think that they were able to get a lot of movement at the point of attack. I just noticed that the defensive line of the Chargers was manhandling the offensive line of the Packers. Yeah, but from an injury perspective, the Chargers were down three defensive linemen, interior defensive linemen. And they still were better than the Packers in the trenches. The game's never this simple. However, I think the fundamental difference in this game was having Melvin Ingram back and healthy because you then had Ingram on the one side and Bosa on the other. And it reminded me of days gone by with the Chargers when we had last week's podcast guest, Sean Lights Out Merriman on one side and SP Sean Phillips on the other. They each made the other one better, right? I mean, if it was just Joey as it's been, he could probably have the protection shifted, the tight end there, the running back, chip him, et cetera. But when it's coming off of both sides and they got a number of sacks and quarterback hits and hurries. So if there was one thing not never, and it's never just one thing, of course, the Chargers had a new offensive coordinator, blah, 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 a whole bunch of different things. But if there was one thing, that would be it. But anyways, there, we'll try and turn the page so you can have a better day here, a better week here, uh, Greg. First segment here, I want to break down a situation that I feel like I have a little bit of expertise in and at least insight. I want to spend almost this entire first segment talking about the intricacies of the Trent Williams situation. And Greg, please chime in and uh, with questions and, and what have you, because I don't want to get too far off on a soliloquy here, but the Trent Williams situation is a very interesting one in in many ways, more so than the Kalichi Assembly situation that I'm sure we'll cover a little bit with uh, Damian Woody, uh, Mr. Jets guy. The Assembly situation is confusing, but it sorts out pretty easily. How it sorts out pretty easily is he has a documented injury and you can't make a guy play through a documented injury. Even if you feel like it's not really that bad, he has an injury. So you can't find him and you can't suspend him and you can't cut him as healthy and you can't not pay for his surgery. 
all that is going to happen. And, uh, you know, what are the downstream effects of the jet stance stance? That's a different story. I feel like that situation is fairly straightforward now that some of the facts are out. But this Trent Williams one continues to have a lot of twists, turns and surprises. So let's recap a little bit, Greg. First of all, Trent Williams has been unhappy and wanting a trade from the Redskins. And he's obviously a great player, Pro Bowl player. Held out, didn't report to camp or the first part of the season. He wants a trade. And rumors have been flying that he's unhappy with the medical staff because of a scalp lesion of some sort, a growth on his head that apparently they said was fine. So here's what we learned this week. Trent Williams in an interview said it was, he gave the type of lesion it was. That type of lesion is indeed one that is slow growing, but aggressive. In other words, when you do surgery, if you leave it alone untreated, it is and can be life-threatening. But it's not something that happens in three months or overnight. There apparently, from his side, was some delay of multiple years. Five or six years is what he was citing. He did finally get it looked at or taken care of. He didn't detail how he circled back to do it. But surgery and usually when that happens with this type of lesion, DFSP is for short, this type of lesion. Dermatofibrosarcoma protuberans, but we don't need to go there. You need a wide resection of the scalp. It didn't invade his skull and it didn't invade his brain. And apparently he's cured, quote, fine and rid of the cancer. But it was a life-changing experience for him, it sounds like. And I feel for the guy. That's a huge deal for him and his family. So when you do the surgery and resection, you need what's called wide margins. So the lesion may only be the, the size of your fingernail at most. But you need to resect an area that is the size of maybe your whole palm, uh, the size of a smaller pancake. So when you do that, you either have to graft the skull or you have to do what we call tissue expanders or have flaps because you have to close the skin over the skull. Otherwise, there's going to be an infection. You can't leave exposed bone. So that's where reports of 350 sutures come into play. So it's not a nothing deal. So the first thing I will say is, yes, it makes sense that it might bother him to wear a helmet. And will they be able to find a helmet that he's comfortable with? I don't know. He should be able to, but I don't know. So he reports to camp in order to accrue the year and get one year closer to free agency and to get paid for the rest of the season. He apparently passes a physical. His agent is told he passed a physical. And you have to pass a physical before you step onto a practice field. And once you pass the physical, you can't change your mind. But I guess where the loophole is, he technically passed the physical, but officially didn't pass the physical because the team didn't sign off on it, even though the doctors did. And when he was getting fit for his uniform for practice, he complained about the helmet bothering his skull. And some thought maybe that was his way of playing games and not getting out into the practice field. But the Redskins fired back and said, well, then you didn't pass the physical. Therefore, um, this can be considered a non-football injury and we don't have to pay you and all sorts of contract ramifications. And that set off a lot of fireworks. And, uh, and uh, you know, so both sides are firing back at this point in time. In the doctor's defense, I mean, I've done hundreds and really thousands of physicals over my NFL career, and I've never made a player try on a helmet as part of it. And usually, a lot of the physicals, especially when the season's already started, when they're one-off physicals, they're usually done at your office. They're not even done at the facility. And so I wouldn't even have a helmet around for him to try on. Now, if I knew there was a scalp issue and he had 350 sutures, I might have considered having him try on a helmet, but I've never involved the helmet trial as part of passing a guy on a physical. So that's that part of it. So where do we sit now? So the Redskins have since asked 
for an investigation. To me, it sounds like an Article 50 investigation. And what is that? The Article 50 investigation is where it's part of the collective bargaining agreement. The NFLPA and the NFL have already agreed to this process. And my understanding of it is that either side, the player or the NFLPA or the team can demand it. And it's supposed to happen automatically per the rules. And the rules are the NFL gets to appoint one doctor. The NFLPA gets to appoint a second doctor. And these two doctors get together and jointly appoint a third doctor. So you would expect, you know, ultimately that you can't have a tie vote. It's more likely a two to one or a one to two than, than a three to zero or zero to three. Although it certainly could be unanimous. But I actually like the process because it's truly a jury of your peers when it comes to medical, right? In terms of medical care. It's not a lay jury. It isn't attorneys. It isn't an arbitrator. It's actual doctors in the field. And the NFL and the NFLPA usually appoint well-qualified sports medicine specialists. And then the doctors are usually pretty collegial and can pretty easily agree on a third party. And so they get access to all the records and will get the truth. The problem is you won't get the truth for months because it'll take multiple weeks to assemble the doctors at least. And then you got to schedule hearings, meetings, or investigation and get the rec, and then get the records and then interview people, including Trent Williams and the team doctors for the Redskins, et cetera, to get to the bottom of it and then write a report. So easily you're talking six months. So we'll ultimately get to the bottom of this. But then the latest monkey wrench is the NFLPA said that, uh, they accused the NFL network of spreading misinformation related to Trent Williams, but they didn't say what misinformation and threatened action if they continued. And then today or yesterday it came out that Trent Williams doesn't want this investigation to happen. And the NFL, NFL PA says they're going to fight it. Are you following along with all this, Greg? Is this <laughs> making sense? It certainly is a lot going on, but I am following, and you're doing a good job of describing it. So with all that laying the groundwork, here's my take on it. This is obviously a very complicated situation. And no question, the Redskins over the last year have had a lot of bad injury luck. I've written about it. We've talked about it. It's unusual for any team in one given year to have an injury that requires three or more surgeries for the same original injury. It's unusual for a team to have that happen once in a given year. It happens once every five years or who knows, but it's not a common occurrence. The Redskins last year had three of these situations. Alex Smith with literally 17 surgeries after his broken leg. Darius Geis after his ACL tear and infection and multiple surgeries. Colt McCoy, with his ankle fracture, surgery, and, quote, comments from Jay Gruden that he was, quote, rushed back and uh, needed additional surgeries and wasn't ready for the start of this year. So they had three from last season. So no question they have had bad injury luck. And I've said you can't necessarily blame the team doctors because you don't know who did the surgeries. We do know one of their team doctors, Jim Andrews, the renowned Dr. Andrews out of Alabama and Panhandle of Florida, did the Darius Guy surgery that got infected. But the Alex Smith surgeries were likely the local trauma docs, et cetera. I'm not sure who did Colt McCoy surgery. So I don't know that that's too easy to blame them. But there have been calls to say, fire the medical staff. How can Trent Williams be, you know, allowed in the building here? There's a couple of issues here. First of all, let me make it clear, and I'm not blaming Trent Williams, but every NFL player has their own health insurance. Trent Williams and every player in the NFL, including their family, can go see basically any doctor they want. It's not an HMO. They can use their private insurance and see anyone at any point in time, any dermatologist, any plastic surgeon, any oncologist. And let me tell you, 
there usually are no plastic surgeons, dermatologists, or oncologists on any NFL medical staff, including the Redskins. So is it possible that somebody told Trent Williams that doesn't look too bad on your scalp and he took their word for it? Yes. Is it possible that a team doctor says, I don't think that's anything, but you should check back or you should ask your own doctor? Maybe. I don't know. This is what the investigation will find out. I don't know what was said. But it is way too simple to say, fire the team doctors. Why? The current regime of team doctors are there, got there in 2016, no more than three years ago. To put blame on them for what may have happened five or six years ago, it's not even them. The only medical doctor in continuity is Jim Andrews. And he, A, he's an orthopedist. Jim Andrews was there for RG3. And I've seen people say the Redskins, they're horrible because of RG3. And now look at this. The current main guys that live in Washington, D.C. area and that are responsible for the day-to-day care of the team didn't have anything to do with RG3. Weren't there when Trent Williams' issue first came up on his scalp. And Jim Andrews flies in for games. So I don't know that he's involved in the day-to-day. He's officially a team physician, has been there through this whole time. So if you're going to fire any team physician, it would be Jim Andrews. And I'm not saying you should do that. I'm just saying this fire the Redskins team doctor stuff doesn't make any sense to me. The Redskins obviously think that they're doctors and they have done the right thing because they're the ones who are inviting the investigation to set the record straight. Remember, the team doctors can't say anything because of HIPAA. They can't give any details. But this is one way to get their side of the story out. If you're going to open up your company's books to an independent outside auditor, you're probably not cooking the books. That's just, you know, I mean, common sense. Now, it's interesting that the NFLPA will support Trent Williams' request not to have an investigation. I don't know how this is going to end. In theory, Trent Williams cannot stop the investigation. Look, if Trent Williams wanted to investigate the Redskins doctors. The Redskins and their doctors through this process could not stop the investigation. The fact that they're wanting to do the investigation, the Redskins, and Trent Williams doesn't want it to happen. I'm sure he has the power to say, I'm not going to participate in it. I'd have to get in an attorney, somebody, to talk about why and if Williams could prevent his records from being in included in the investigation. But certainly Trent Williams could say, I'm not participating myself. My understanding of the CBA is the investigation still goes on. But maybe because it's a bad luck, the NFL will agree to back down or the Redskins will agree to back down on the investigation. Because I think their point is made. They think they're they're in the right in terms of what's going on. So uh, it's a complicated picture. And um, I'm just trying to decipher what the reality is in between. Have I confused everybody, Greg, or have we made some sense here? I think that you made a lot of sense, though. I would not want to be taking some sort of like a 25-question exam on this. (laughs) Well, you can rewind and replay the podcast. No, just kidding. No, (laughs) I I just felt like this was the right format to do it in. And um, if anyone has questions, tweet at me. I'll, I'll be happy to answer it. Look, I am not pointing fingers at Trent Williams. I get how big of a deal this was to him. I am not pointing fingers at the Redskins doctors or Jim Andrews. I respect him, worked with him, lectured in his place, visited with him. I mean, look, I'm just saying there's more to the story than the simple what meets the eye to the everyday guy. And let's not do knee-jerk reactions. The only thing that I don't understand, and I don't pretend to understand the NFLPA, But their job is to clearly protect the player and more power to him. And I have the utmost respect for Eric Winston. And I don't know what he's involved in this or not. I think he's awesome. I've gotten to know him and he's incredible. As a matter of fact, we should probably get him as a podcast guest if he'll agree to it. He's a busy man. But I think the world of him. But if the NFLPA, D. Smith or whoever, has an issue with misinformation that the NFL network reporters are saying, and they're throwing darts saying it's an NFL-owned agency as if the NFL is using propaganda through the NFL network reporters. 
who I know, and they are all very proud to be independent. But if that's what they're saying, why don't they just come out and say what it is? What is the misinformation? Even if it's super sensitive, why don't you just come out and say, this part is wrong, but we're not going to tell you the whole story because it's sensitive. Why do we get into this as I, you know, I'm going to date myself here, Greg, and tell me if you even get this reference. Why are we into this na-na-na-na-na-na, Cindy Brady, I've got a secret and I won't tell? I mean, why don't they just say what it is, the misinformation is? I kept up with that. You, you, all right. <laughs> and reruns are nostalgic, right? <laughs> and I'm just saying, just spit it out. If you think there's something that's not true, say it. I don't know. Enough with Trent Williams. And this is why it was a deep dive and made it the one topic in the first session here. And hopefully I haven't bored everyone to death. I promise you the Damian Woody segment will be a lot more entertaining. Uh, you know, about Mr. Woody there. So let's take a break here with ProFootball.podcast and we'll come back with our special guest. This is the ProFootball.podcast with Dr. David Schaff. Welcome back to the Pro Football Doc Podcast for our second segment, our special guest segment. I'm very excited for our guest today for several reasons. Number one, he's a great NFL player. Number two, I love watching him on Get Up and social media and otherwise. And uh, I've never met the man, but he was kind enough to agree to come on the uh, podcast here. And so uh, welcome to the show, uh, Damian Woody. And by the way, happy birthday. Thank you, Doc. I really appreciate it. Glad to, have, glad to be on. Like I said, we've never really met before. I, I love your, your work on the field and now off of it. But I got to ask you here, uh, uh, was it really a happy birthday? Or, and are, are you okay there? I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> boy, <laughs> I know you're opinionated. But for those of you who haven't seen it, you got to go to his Twitter handle, at Damian Woody, and I'll tweet it out. But, I mean... Twice you came on for emergency uh, jets periscopes, and twice I'm looking at it. And look, you're a man with a lot to say, and I love seeing you on TV and different things. You were speechless for the first 30 seconds of each periscope that you did, and I timed it out. You didn't have anything coming out of your mouth. You just sat there. Yeah, you know what? When you're watching, first of all, my birth my birthday was great. I was surrounded by family and friends, so it was very enjoyable. Um, even though I was watching that Jets debacle, I, I definitely had a good time on my birthday. Um, but as it relates to the Jets, it was um, it was really unbelievable. I actually uh, last week I actually picked the Jets to lose, but I was thinking from a reverse psychology standpoint that okay, the Jets will win. You know, they're playing against the Miami Dolphins, a team that's conceptually they're trying to lose to gain a higher pick um and the worst possible outcome happened and as things are unfolding in real time and people who follow me on social media know that you know i i live tweet you know throughout the games you know throughout the games on sunday especially jets games because i tend to you know follow the jets pretty closely and i and i let my i just leave it out there i don't i don't hold anything back and <laughs> as i'm watching the game I'm just thinking to myself, oh, my God, this is really happening. This is really happening. And uh, like you said, I did two, um, you know, two periscopes, one at halftime and then one post game. And, uh, you know, the Jets right now, they're they're pretty much at rock bottom considering what has transpired with this organization in the past, I would say, eight months. Yeah, well, I was kind of worried as as a doctor i mean even though i'm a orthopedist <laughs> i was kind of worried about your blood pressure my friend <laughs> I <was> like, boy <laughs> and i don't know who was more upset you uh yesterday or uh or fireman ed when he quit on the jets a, a couple years ago i mean that was, yeah man that listen yeah yeah it's 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 you know it's it's the jets fan bases are passionate you know and and the last time the jets actually won was when i was on the team back in 08 and 2000 through 2010, man. So I know, you know, I know how this fan base is. They love a winner. They want it desperately. And it just seems like this Jets organization can't get out of its own way. And now the Jets are sitting at one in seven, considering the fact that they had over a hundred million dollars in cash space, uh, in the offseason. They spent all this money on 
you know, a lot of different players from, you know, Le'Veon Bell and Mosley, the linebacker. I mean, they spin it all over the place. Jameson Crowder, the wide receiver. And they drafted Quentin Williams, you know, out of Alabama. So people thinking coming into the season that, okay, Adam Gates is supposed to be the quote-unquote offensive guru, quarterback whisperer, you know, from his time working with Peyton Manning, that he'll take Sam Darnold to the, to the next level. Well, here we are, week nine, Sam Darnold is, has regressed, and anyone who watches Sam Darnold can tell he has definitely regressed from, la- from the end of last year. And the team is worse. The team is worse at this point right now than they were at any point during the Todd Bowles era um, over the past, you know, four previous years. So the Jets are a mess. And, you know, here in New York City, you know, they don't put up with that. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this thing plays out because there are a lot of people calling for Adam Gase's job right now. Yeah. So do you think it's Gase? Is it Joe Douglas? Is it ownership? Is it the players? And really, I guess my question to you, and you've been pretty vocal about this, how much does the Jamal Adams situation or even the Kalichi Osemele situation play into this, if at all, in terms of the locker room and otherwise? Well, listen, you have a perfect storm that's brewing right now. Obviously, the Kalichi Osemele situation for a lot of people that don't know about it, you know, it's just a really unfortunate situation where, you know, a player saying that he's hurt, that he not hurt, but he's injured. He needs to have surgery on his shoulder. And the organization was contesting that. And I, I feel like as a former player, that's a really bad look on the organization to do that. And it can possibly hurt you, you know, in the offseason when the player is comparing apples to apples, close deals, where these little things can make the difference between a player signing with, you know, you know, another club or with the New York Jets. So hopefully this situation gets resolved. And I'm glad to see that Kalecha got his surgery and, and, and is moving forward with his career. And then the whole Jamal Adams situation, I, you know, I vented my thoughts on that. And I just feel like with Jamal Adams, he needs to understand the business side of the game. And I understand he's a young, he's a really good player, young, proper guy. But the Jets, because of past administrations, their failures, they're in a situation where their roster, they have one of the worst rosters in the league, one of the worst mismanaged rosters in the National Football League. So sometimes, you have to give up good players to get assets to really build the organization, build a roster the right way. So you had that situation playing out. The fact that the team isn't winning, you know, some of your best players aren't having even, aren't even playing, you know, Mosley, the linebacker, Chris Herndon, tight end, you know, it's just a whole plethora of things that's going on with the Jets right now where the fan base is just miserable. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on the uh, Jamal Adams situation that it's part of Joe Douglas's job to answer the phone, right, and to take a look. But I don't know. I think he's a smart guy. I think he knows the rules on Osemele. He knows the Jets are going to have to pay for the surgery. He knows that the Jets are going to owe the salary to Osemele, right? They're not going to be able to get out of this, but they're just making the player fight for it on a grievance. He knows that. So there's some reason I would assume that he's doing this. And he knows that he's got to listen to Jamal Adams offers and other things. But, and maybe this is as a young GM, he knows all this, but I mean, you want all those things quiet, right? But once it gets out, he got to do a little communication, right? To Adams or his agent and say, look, I'm just sitting there fielding calls. I'm not soliciting them and I'm loyal to you. And, and, Tell me if you like this analogy or not. If you're out at dinner or a bar and, and you're not hitting, you know, on anybody, you're married, et cetera, but someone comes up and hits on you a little bit. Okay. You, you, you may politely listen and then say, no, thank you. Or even if you engage in a little conversation, if your wife or your girlfriend finds out later, you don't say, yeah, we went back and forth, but she wasn't good looking enough. So this is why I, I'm, I still came home today. You kind of <laughs> just say, Right. I mean, you kind of just say, Hey, I just, pay, I was just standing there minding my own business and they called me and, and this girl came up to me and I politely said no as soon as I could without being rude. 
and you know, kind of thing. But you don't sit there and, and we know he's got to make that. But I don't know. I mean, the locker room is, as you always stress, is a very important place. And you know, if you want players to play without passion and have it all be about the money, I mean, players are people. They want to be loved, right? And so, if you want a passionless locker room that's all well about X's and O's in business, then that's what you're going to get. So I think you got to show some love, but I don't know. That's just me. No, listen, I, I listen, I, I understand where Jamal Adams is coming from. I think there's a couple things at play here. Number one, you know, Jamal Adams is a prideful guy. Um, and to hear an organization possibly feeling calls about being traded, you know, sometimes that can hurt, you know, that can hurt your pride. I also think the agent, you know, played a role in this whole situation because, you know, you heard talks about the Dallas Cowboys who possibly interested in, and for people that out there that might not know Jamal Adams is from the Dallas area. So that would have been a, a homecoming of sorts for him. Um, so pro- he probably got his hopes up in that, in that regard. But, um, listen, at the, at the end of the day, he also needs to understand that some of these teams were making really big offers and the team turned them down. That's how that's the high regard that the team has for Jamal Adams to know that there were a lot of teams out there that were willing to part with not only a first round pick, but extra compensation on top of that to acquire a a really good young player in this league. So I think he should feel some some comfort knowing the the team, how much the team values him as not only a player on the field, but, you know, one of the leaders off the field as well. So on a scale of one to 10, 10 being a lot, one being almost none, what effect did the Jamal Adams controversy have on Sunday's loss to the Dolphins? What role did it play? I don't think it played in zero. I don't think it played no role okay. in the game. I think, you know, four players are very good at compartmentalizing things. Um, with, you know, the, the noise and all those type of things and understand, understanding what's really important. And that's going out there and try to win a football game. So that's just a lot of talk that we in the media, you know, we, we love those type of things because they, they draw ratings. They, they're, they're storylines. But I think as far as the players are concerned, that stuff doesn't play into how they go about their preparation, getting ready for a football game. Got it. And so obviously the assembly situation, same answer. No, no, no role whatsoever. Well, listen, I think guys will talk about it. You know, obviously, you know, when you, when you, when you, you know, when you're talking about the health, you know, the health of a player, guys tend, that's, I think that's a different situation where guys tend to look at that because, you know, obviously in a game that's as violent as football, when you see stuff like this playing out, I'm sure there are guys in the locker room thinking in the back of their head, hmm. Could this happen to me? Could I be a guy that could be in a situation where, you know, the team might, you know, try to contest something? So that situation might might play out in the back of guys' mind, you know, moving forward. But ultimately, none of that has any bearing on how these guys perform on Sundays. Interesting. So, so in no relation to Sunday, but in the end, in terms of long-term effect and in the locker room, the assembly situation brings up more questions and concerns in your mind in a locker room than the Jamal Adams situation. Oh, absolutely. Because again, it deals with, you know, it deals with, we're talking about a health issue, you know, a player that, you know, was injured and, and, and felt like he needed surgery. It's a contest. It's a, you know, highly contested situation. So of course guys are going, you know, going to think, okay, is the organization going to do right by me if I was in that situation? So, yeah, that, that, you know, I'm sure guys have thought about that. Yeah. Uh, being a lineman and obviously following the Jets, did you make much of the uh, conversation back and forth between the Jets lineman and Sam Darnold after that uh, snap count mishandling? Well, I mean, listen, it was um, that was a highly embarrassing moment and, you know, you never want to see those type of things play out like that. You know, the game of football is very emotional, so sometimes things spill over. But I think it's just a sign of how frustrating this season has been for everyone affiliated, associated with the New York Jets. And again, you know, something as elementary as a snap 
turns out to be one of the one of the one of the more embarrassing plays that the Jets have had this season. Um, so it, it and it really encapsulate how the what this Jets season has been all about. To be honest with you, the only way that's going to cure any of this stuff is a win. They need a win. And but right now, when I look at the Jets and I look at their schedule, there's no guarantees on their schedule that they'll ever get a win. So we'll see how long this thing keeps spiraling out of control. Yeah, I mean, it certainly looked like there was the miscommunication, but it wasn't like uh, it didn't seem like body language wise that they were talking about it in in friendly terms. Oh no, were- <laughs> no, those seem like those seem like some heat, some heated dudes out there um, that knew. <laughs> that knew that they messed up and um you know you just hope that people just don't start pointing fingers uh yeah. you know especially well, it, in and it seemed like to me this. that Sam, Sam Darnold did the right thing he's the young guy he kind of went up to the lineman and tried to make peace a little bit and, say, and, well, and yeah, talk it yeah, out a little bit yeah well he he he's a smart dude he understands like okay even though these guys might not be protecting me uh that much anyway no need to get on their bad side and make it even worse for me <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, well, Damien, I don't know. I can't imagine. I mean, you're just watching the game and you're this passionate. I can't imagine what it was like when you were playing the game. I mean, w- were you this worked up over the game or were you more of a focusing on your task at hand? Uh, were your emotions more in check or were, were your emotions on your sleeve like this? Well, I call it controlled aggression. And, you know, everyone always... You know, anyone who's um, who knows me, they always say that you're just such a gentleman and such a nice guy. How in the world did you play football? And I'm like, you don't know the other side of me. Like I knew I like I knew how to flip this flip the switch. And, you know, I knew how to channel that emotion onto the football field. So um, anyone who play who I play with or against would tell you that I'm a highly competitive guy, very emotional guy, very passionate about my craft. And. And, uh, you know, you know, fortunately for me, I was blessed to play 12 years and, and did it at a pretty high level. Yes, absolutely. And, and speaking of 12 years, I mean, you played with the Patriots and have rings with the Patriots. You played with the Patriots longer than you played with the Jets. I didn't see the, uh, the periscope after the uh, Patriots uh, beating against the uh, Ravens last night. Uh, well, are you I'll- more of a Jets guy or what's, what's the take there? No, well, a couple of things. Number one, that game was late. By that time, I was in bed, and you know, I couldn't. I couldn't imagine telling my, you know, have tell my wife, "Hey, I'm going to do a periscope of the of the Patriots Ravens <laughs> game at that type at that time of night." Uh, so that that's number one. <laughs> number two, I always say that the Patriots are so good that I don't need to. I don't need to get worked up about the Patriots because I know they're in good hands. Great organization. From from the top with Mr. Kraft, you know, obviously with uh, Coach Belichick and and Tom Brady, you got two of the all time best, you know, leading the way, and then a bunch of you know uh, team first guys on that team. So this is an organization that's done it every year. So they're in good hands. I feel like I need to just from a Jets fan standpoint, they need somebody who's who can understand them and who can and who can. Uh, can tell it like it is. So that's why you see me doing that a lot more with the, with the Jets as opposed to the Patriots. I got you. Sound, sounds good there. So final question for you, which is, so you've talked about Gase and his relationship with Peyton Manning, et cetera. So if you break that down, you know, did Gase make Manning or did Peyton make Gase? Obviously everyone would say Peyton made Gase, right? It's that oh, way around. I, oh, a- abso- absolutely. You know, and that's really kind of, that's really been the talk is the fact that if you took at, if you took Peyton Manning out of the equation um, from Peyton Manning's overall record, what do you have? And quite honestly, yeah. it doesn't look good. it doesn't look good at all. So, um, all right, you know, there, there's a lot of questions um, as it relates to Adam Gason. Is he really the the guy that um, that was sold that the organization sold the Bills as far as this offensive guru uh, to the Jets fan base? All right. And so I know you're not afraid to express your opinion. So don't give me both. It's not a choice. Even if it's 50.1 against 49.9%. Is Brady making Belichick or is Belichick making Brady? You, you can't go 50-50. What's your answer? I'm going to go with the, with the coach. I'm going to go with Bill, Bill Belichick. 
because football coaching matters more so in football than any other sport. And to have that level of success for that long, I mean, it's just a touch testament to his to his genius as a head coach. Remember, Brady didn't come Brady wasn't Brady overnight. He was developed by Coach Belichick and turned into the player that he is. Now, I'm not taking away anything from Tom Brady because obviously you got to be a special, special person to do the things that he's accomplished um, in this league. But Coach Belichick is, you know, playing under him. I, I, I tell everyone he's the best coach that I've ever played under, and it's not even close. The next person's not even in his vicinity as far as, um, you know, his greatness. So I, I would have to get an edge to Coach Belichick. Well, I, I knew you wouldn't uh, take a pass on that. You would take a stand, so I, I appreciate that. And, look, you can't take away anything from the GOAT, right? I mean, Tom Brady's unbelievable, uh, no question about it. And and you're they both make each other, no question. But I tend to agree with you because, you know, the one year that Brady was hurt, Matt Castle was 11-5. and five. They didn't make the playoffs because an 11-5 team didn't make the playoffs that year. But, but you know, I mean, Matt Castle took the Patriots to 11-5. So, anyways, thank you so much for your time. I promise you no more than 20 minutes here. I really appreciate your taking the time on a post-birthday hangover here to, to do the podcast with us. And, uh, look, if I can ever help you out, Damien, I'd uh, be more than happy to. I appreciate your coming on here and love all the work that you do. Doc, I appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to the next time we can get together and uh, and chop it up, as I like to say. Uh, love it. Love it. Appreciate you. So we'll take a break and we'll come back with the third and final segment of the Pro Football Doc podcast where we'll do our injury rundown for the week. And we'll come back with the third and final segment of the Pro Football Doc podcast. More now with Dr. David Chow, the pro football doc. All right, welcome back to the third and final segment of the Pro Football Doc podcast. And as promised and as I expected, I was right on there. Damian Woody did not disappoint. And he did not shirk that final question. He came down on the side of Coach Belichick in Brady versus Belichick. Not that they're against each other. But I'll tell you something. Tom Brady is special because he's a guy who's the GOAT, who's accomplished everything. But he still allows Bill Belichick to run the show, does it Bill's way. And I've heard personally heard stories of Tom getting called out by coach if he doesn't toe the party line as an example kind of situation. Literally like Tom Brady stand up or like making him an example of where he's not doing something the quote patriot way. And it takes a lot for Tom Brady to accept that. Clearly the answer is both. They're both responsible for each other's success. But as Damian Woody said, if you have to assign and you had to pick, he picked Coach Belichick. In any case, let's get to the injury rundown here. Greg, this is really one of the best weeks of injury for the entire year. I wish there were more of these. And uh, but there's still stuff going on, so let's run through it. The big one, quarterback, Jacoby Brissett. That's the big new injury that everyone's talking about here. In game, we said MCL spring, and that's what it seems to be. As the coach said, MCL-ish. They're waiting for an MRI. The hope is no additional bone bruise. And you saw him. He was on the sideline with a new brace on and maybe looking like he was ready to play. He was never officially ruled out. I think he was the emergency quarterback. So the fact that he could be the emergency quarterback and in conjunction with the video means that there's no significant additional damage like an ACL tear. Yeah, his ankle got stepped on, but I think that was minor. MCL probably on a, on a lower grade minor end. And the fact that he was able to be the emergency QB bodes well for next week. We've got to look at overnight swelling. We've got to look at what the MRI says. But the next game against the Dolphins, I don't think Brissett is ruled out yet. It is possible he could play. It's also possible they may, you know, let Brissett have a week off. I mean, it is the Dolphins, but they beat the Jets. And uh, Brian Hoyer, rumor rumor has it, hasn't even ever had any first-team reps. So there's no question Hoyer is going to get all the first-team reps this week. 
And the question is, is Brissett healthy enough to play without practice? Or perhaps if Hoyer really picks up the offense well, uh, he gets a one-week run at it while Brissett gets healthier. We'll wait and see. Deshaun Watson, no issues with that eye. It looked funky, but redness in the eye and the whites of your eyes doesn't affect vision. And that may not go away for a couple weeks, but it doesn't affect his vision, and he, he should be fine. The big other question is Patrick Mahomes. No, he did not play this week, as expected. He was 21 days, sorry, he was 17 days from the injury. And next week, he will be 24 days from the injury, the patella dislocation. And Jay Glazer gave some interesting quotes over the weekend that coincided with what we've been saying here at the podcast and otherwise. We've been talking about the risk of re-dislocation. We've been talking about how it's not just how he feels, but this risk of re-dislocation. And he had a pretty specific report saying the doctors told Patrick Mahomes that if he would have played this week in week nine, he had a 40% chance of re-dislocation. And then if he waits until after 21 days, and his next chance to play will be at 24 days, that his risk of re-dislocation drops to 10 or 15%. And that's why he was held out and not played. Those numbers, look, I don't doubt Jay Glazer. He's in the know. Those doctor, those numbers are not accurate in the sense of it's 40.6% or 41.2% because we don't have thousands of NFL quarterbacks with loose ligaments in a certain structure in the knee and trochlear dysplasia or not. And, you know, all these different factors, right? Into the decision. But they're not unreasonable numbers. They're approximations. And, you know, I've been saying overall a 50% chance of redislocation across the rest of this season. Now, this seems like it was 40% that day and now 10 to 15% next week, and then perhaps lower the week after that. So statistics are a funny thing, but I think what Jay Glazer reported and what I've been saying are very similar. The numbers can co- coincide. Even though there's risk of redislocation, I think Mahomes wear a brace and he will play. And I think we will be surprised at how effective that he is and how mobile that he is. But let's just keep our fingers crossed that there's no redislocation. Uh, from the get-go, from the injury, I said three to four weeks to return. This week 10 game will be three and a half weeks, 24 days from the patella dislocation. But I still feel like uh, off-season surgery is still coming for him. So fingers crossed that Mahomes will do well when he returns, and I think he will return next week. Matt Ryan also will return next week. Had a bye this week, right ankle, high ankle. He should be fine. Joe Flacco is done for the season with injury reserve with a neck issue that doesn't require surgery. Cam Newton, we'll see what happens with him, but I'm pessimistic. I'm actually waiting for the shoe to drop on his being declared out for the rest of the season with injured reserve. Do I think he could play in an NFL game? Yes. Do I think he's 100%? No. And if he and the Panthers are sticking to wanting wanting to be 100%, I think he goes on injured reserve, and here's why. He saw a second opinion doctor, respected physician, who said no surgery, a few more weeks. It's already been essentially two and a half months from the week three preseason injury. He played week one, week two, maybe re-aggravated it. It's been seven weeks since week two. Next week, it'll be eight weeks. Well, if he's already been ruled out for next week, which is eight weeks from the aggravation of the injury, Is he going to get to 100% in another two weeks? No way. Is he going to get to 100% in another four weeks? Probably not. So now you're already talking about December. So this is why I'm saying once Newton and the Panthers huddle up, I would not be surprised if injured reserve is what happens with Cam Newton. Uh, But it's not the end of his career. He should, I mean, who knows? It might be the end for him in, in Carolina. But I'm not saying this is the end of his career. I'm just saying it looks like he's headed for injured reserve. So let's move on to some running backs here. Christian McCaffrey, MVP candidate, had a minor scare. As he was celebrating everything, I was like, oh, he hit the back of his head on the ground after his final touchdown. 
And indeed, I think the uh, eye in the sky called down, took him into the tent, and he cleared concussion protocol. So unless he has a setback with symptoms, I do not think there are any issues with Christian McCaffrey going forward. Alvin Kamara, after the Saints bye in Week 9, should be back for Week 10. DJ uh, uh, David Johnson, I think, should be back and splitting carries with Kenyon Drake. David Johnson should be back next week, I believe, for the Week 10 game with the Cardinals. Chase Edmonds will not be with his hamstring, so it'll be David Johnson and Kenyon Drake. James Conner, not sure. I correctly said he had an AC joint sprain, but incorrectly, I thought that he would play this week, and he didn't. A lot of different factors. Josh Jacobs has played through the last three weeks with an AC joint sprain, taking an, an injection. I'm not saying James Conner and Josh Jacobs' injuries are exactly the same. They're in the same family. I'm not saying James Conner wasn't as, isn't as tough as Josh Jacobs. Not at all. I mean, the man beat cancer, right? James Conner, I have a lot of respect for him. He's been a beast of the week on this podcast. But there are other factors. Maybe it's worse. Maybe there are other factors. Maybe the Steelers just said to him, hey, Jalen Samuels is well-rested in, in coming back this week. Don't go to additional, you know, taking an injection to play. You haven't practiced all leading up into this week. We'd rather just go with Jalen Samuels and have you come get healthy. Don't know. Don't know what their decision-making was. But uh, this leaves next week into question in terms of James Conner. Adam Schefter reported it could be a two-week deal. So let's see what happens this week. But uh, we'll fill you in uh, at the ProFootballDoc.com website. Wide receivers, let's go through a few of them. Adam Thielen left the game with what's been reported as an aggravation. So he missed week eight. It was a short week from week seven to week eight. Missed that. Week nine, he played but left the game after an aggravation. Don't know how bad the aggravation is, but I think you have to count on that Adam Thielen will not play week 10. Once you have a setback like that, hopefully it's not a long setback, but I think it's going to be hard for him to play week 10. We'll know more as the week goes on in terms of how long it might be. Deshaun Jackson also won't play week 10, but that's because he has a bye week. Week one, he was looked good, and then he's really been missing since. And everyone including me, was looking forward to him coming back in week nine. Didn't last the first series. One catch for eight yards. Did draw a pass interference. Something didn't feel right and was, quote, removed for precautionary reasons. Next week is the bye. Maybe they were being forward-thinking. Let's use the bye. And then they play the Patriots in week 11. Maybe that's what they're looking for. But I got to still have a lot of worry here. I mean, once again, you really haven't played since week one. This is week nine, and you don't last one series. What are the chances you're going to be 100% in week 11? So at this point, they're likely pot committed. If they were going to have core muscle surgery, that would have put them out for six weeks. And in retrospect, they probably do. I'm not being critical of, of the player or the team for not doing it. I wasn't there and how the decision was made. I don't know what his exam looks like, but in retrospect, and it's always hindsight 2020, maybe they wish they would have done it now. But in any case, they're pot committed. They're going to see if he can play in the Patriots because if you do the surgery now, his season's kind of done. So they have no choice pretty much. So uh, best of luck to Deshaun Jackson there. Devontae Adams, we touched on a little bit at the top of the show. He looked okay, not 100%, but the Packers didn't look very well at all. Odell Beckham with his hip groin issue, Jarvis Landry with his mild AC. Uh, they looked okay, but, you know, they, they got beat by the Broncos. Will Fuller, his hamstring, hard to predict when that speedster can come back. And Sterling Sharp has been ruled out of Monday night's game here against the Cowboys. But this also effectively rules him out for next week. week Sterling Shepard, you should say, not Sterling Sharp. Sorry. Sterling yeah. Sharp was a very good packer that. back in the day. Thank you. I always say that. And part of the reason is I've never met Sterling Shepard. And uh, I do know Sterling Sharp a little bit. He was always very kind to uh, attend the Junior Seau charity golf tournaments and was always uh, a big personality. So thank you, Sterling Shepard, not Sterling Sharp. 
the Sterling Shepherd with the second concussion of the season and was essentially cleared, but then had a setback where he had symptoms again. And this is why you let them go to full practice before final clearance. And he cleared that hurdle, but then to his credit, he reported honestly more symptoms, which means not only is he not playing against the uh, Cowboys on Monday night, he's not playing next week either. Hopefully he can come back soon after that. So let's move on to a couple tight ends. Chris Herndon was active, hip hip hooray for the Jets for the first time. Uh, coming off the suspension and then the hamstring issues, but didn't do much of anything. And I really think he was active more so because the Jets had 26 players on the injury report this week, at least early week. And, you know, they need to field 46 guys. They could only sit seven off the active roster. So he might have been the eighth most healthy person or least healthy, however you want to talk about it. In other words, he wasn't in the top seven of injured players for the Jets this week. So he got to suit up, even though he didn't do much of anything. Uh, he has a chance to play next week for the first time for real. And then George Kill from the uh, Thanksgiving Day game, Thanksgiving evening game, that knee hyperextension. You know, my, uh, Kyle Shanahan has said it is um, nothing major, it's minor, which is good. But until I see him out on the field, my worry still is for a bone bruise. I know there's something, not anything long term or season ending. But bone bruises can knock you out for a few weeks and potentially even four to six weeks if it's bad enough. Kyle Shanahan certainly has a reputation of being honest. So he's not lying. He says it's minor. But uh, until I see him out there at practice full go, I'm still a little worried about when George Kittle will come back. The Raiders lost Trent Brown. I'm still looking at what his knee injury was. Rodney Hudson, their center, didn't play. Defensively, Malcolm Butler broke his wrist. No idea what kind of break or how much he'll miss yet, but the Titans secondary player broke his wrist. And then uh, I'm getting a lot of questions, Greg, on Derwin James. I mean, one Chargers victory, and they want to know when their Pro Bowl safety is coming back. Not soon. I said at the beginning of the year, let's hope for December. So I still don't think Derwin James is back yet. You have to understand, you get a signal when they're going to come back. The team gets a 21-day practice window. They get to activate Derwin James to the 21-day practice window. And no one goes from not being in the practice window to playing 100%. So we'll get three weeks lead time for Derwin James. So I guess in that sense, Greg, my proclamation that he won't be ready until December is probably not that big a proclamation at this point in time because that's about where the numbers put it out to be because he hasn't been activated yet to the 21-day practice window. But that's what we said from the beginning of the season, in any case. All right, Greg, uh, busy podcast today. Any other questions or anything before we finish off with the Beast of the Week? I think you covered them all. My Beast of the Week here, just because this is an athletic feat that impressed me, it doesn't actually involve any injury. It's actually a feat of strength. Look, this is the NFL. There are a lot of great players. On, on any given day or any given play, one player can get the best of another. But we've seen so many Quentin Nelson guard for the Colts pancake blocks. It's like a thing on Twitter, how he just destroys people and pancake blocks them. And he's one of the best in the NFL. So this week, he got bull rushed and pushed back. And he's the guy who got knocked on his back and inadvertently injured Jacoby Brissett. I'm not making fun of Quentin Nelson. I've seen at least a dozen, oh my gosh, pancake blocks on Twitter and otherwise related to Quentin Nelson. I'm saying how great he is and how unbelievable he is. But the guy who knocked him backwards is the guy who is my beast of the week, Cam Hayward of the Steelers. Craig Ironhead Hayward's son. I mean, unbelievable lineage, unbelievable player, but at least on that one play, on this one Sunday in week nine, he made a dominant great player look silly with his bull rush. He got Quentin Nelson off balance and literally knocked him off his feet and onto his back. And that's how Jacoby Brissett's knee got rolled up into. 
So there is some relation to injury, but I mean, boy, that was one heck of a play. So Cam Hayward uh, with his bull rush is our beast of the week here with that incredible uh, play there. So that'll wrap it up here. Uh, Facebook, I'm told we're on Instagram, Pro Football Doc. I don't know what that means. but <laughs> It means they, they're going to get pictures much like you going out trick-or-treating as Ghostbusters. Yes, uh, <laughs> Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, uh, it was a sad day that trick-or-treating this year because the seven-year-old twins didn't want to be part of the family costume oh, no. anymore. They wanted their own thing. So uh, we had to make our uh, two-year-old, my wife's idea, that uh, we, she and I would be Ghostbusters and uh, the baby, the two-year-old, would be the Stay Puff Marshmallow guy <laughs> or whatever. And uh, she tried it on and she's like, I don't want to be marshmallow. I'm like, oh, but then you can eat marshmallows. We'll give you marshmallows. We'll let you eat other candy. And she looked at us like, yeah, but you let me have that when I smile and kiss you anyway. So why am I going to need to wear this thing? So she put it on in the end and played along with us. I did have a passing thought, Greg, and I didn't do it. Didn't want to uh, make my son wear a costume he didn't want to wear. But there was a passing thought that I wanted to put him in a sandbox. Oh, well, we'd be helping Sam out, you know. Yeah. But in any case, no, we didn't do that. Anyways, so that's the Pro Football Doc podcast. Thanks much. And uh, more info at the website, profootballdoc.com. Thank you, Greg. Thank you to Damian Woody. And we'll see you next week.